0: advised that this podcast may contain crude coarse or adult language the subject matter may be uncomfortable as we discuss sexual assault and murder this is Kirsten Karen and you are listening to her name podcast a vintage case file series this season her name is Norma Roaback First of all, I have to apologize for the length of time that has transpired between our first episode and this one. Unfortunately, sometimes life gets a little hectic and busy and that certainly happened this time. Additionally, someone very close to this case expressed concern about her safety if I were to start asking questions. Several years ago, when I first started researching Norma's disappearance and murder, I reached out to my grandmother, Janice Bigelow, who is Norma's sister, and asked if she would be comfortable with the idea of me making a documentary about Norma. At the time, Janice said yes, and we got together, a couple of times to talk and go over some newspaper articles that she had and yearbooks and and things of that nature. Because so much time had passed in between initially wanting to do that documentary and starting this podcast, I should have reached back out to my grandmother to make sure she was okay with this. And I screwed up. I completely admit it, this is my fault, because I did not. I made the assumption that she would still be okay with it. And so I started recording, I started researching, I started reaching out to people uh, to get more information, following up on some leads that I hadn't noticed, I guess, before when I initially started looking things over about six years ago. So I I already felt like I was, I don't know, kind of hip deep into this and then thought, okay, now that I'm, you know, trying to connect with some people that knew Norma or knew about the case, it may get back to my grandmother. So I better go ahead and give her a call and just, you know, let her know that I'm doing this because I don't want her to, unprepared anytime uh, you revisit something like this it can certainly unearth uh, some feelings and, and memories and not all of them are are pleasant and I wanted to make sure she was prepared for that when I talked to her this time however she did not feel comfortable with the idea of this podcast And the main reason was because she was worried about retaliation is is the impression that I got. Uh, She didn't phrase it quite that way, but she said she was scared. So the question that some of you may be wanting to ask is, well, why the person who admitted to killing Norma is dead? So how could this have a negative impact? My grandmother believes, as, uh, as I do, as many of our family members do, that uh, if in fact Carl is guilty, he didn't act alone. Um, there have been several things that have been said uh, throughout the years that would lead us to believe that there were two killers involved. Now, of course, that means, as I said on the last episode, that somebody's gotten away with something and my grandmother lives alone and of course wants to make sure that she's safe. So I've been wrestling with this for the last several weeks. This has been very much a moral dilemma for me. And kind of the conclusion that I've come to at this point is, there are a few things that I'm thinking about. one is that true crime podcasts are very popular right now. Uh, I've listened to several. I'm making one. You're listening to this. I'm sure you've listened to others. The uh, circumstances around Norma's death are are fairly interesting. I mean, just from kind of an objective viewpoint, uh, how often do you hear a story of you know a suicide note confession a couple of weeks after a murder it's just something that i haven't heard about uh very much i'm I'm kind of like thinking back to all these true crime podcasts i've listened to i don't think i've ever come in contact or have been aware of anything quite like that additionally it was a small town in the 50s that's unusual I feel like it's just a matter of time before someone else unearths this case and does their own take on it. And I I'm a little uncomfortable with that idea. Maybe this makes me a hypocrite. But the reason I'm uncomfortable with it is I just want to make sure that Norma isn't isn't lost in all of this. If, if somebody's going to bring her story to light, I want it to be someone who will respect her. And I feel like I can do that because I do respect her. When I reached out to the um, the sheriff's office in Vernal uh, six-ish years ago, I asked for information on her case. I wanted to see if they had any records left. And what I was told is that uh, they had one article, is how it was phrased to me at the time, in her case file. And that was all that had survived. Um, an overenthusiastic secretary had gone through and just cleaned out all of the solved case files. And so all the information that they may have had was was lost several years ago that's what I was told so I said you know go ahead and if you could send me that article that would be great thinking that it may have just been another article that I already had access to through the news archives what they sent me was a copy of a true detective magazine from October not entirely sure of the year but I do believe it's 1956 um, I'm trying to look through it here and see if there are any solid dates uh, <laughs> when I got the uh, the email with this information I kind of lost my shit a little bit the cover of this true detective magazine is It's offensive it's it's this super busty woman in a low-cut dress you know with her mouth partly opened and what's supposed to be a scream I suppose and a dead man slumped over a kitchen table in front of her it's it just this this magazine was was released for purely entertainment purposes now again Some may argue that these podcasts are for entertainment purposes. I try to make sure that the true crime true crime podcasts, I can't speak today. The true crime podcasts I'm listening to are respectful of uh, the victims. And this magazine, I just don't feel like it was certainly, I guess, a product of the time, but I think the reason I'm hesitant to not be the one to bring Norma's story forward first is because I don't want the podcast version of this True Detective magazine. I don't want that to be everyone's first introduction to Norma and her story. The second thing I had to think about in terms of of what to do with my grandmother's Uh, reticence about this project is the the fact that as time marches on, there are fewer and fewer people who are able to uh, remember what happened then, um, or who are even alive to remember what happened then. The longer that I wait, then the less information I'm going to have. And I do struggle with that as well. And I have to weigh these concerns against my grandmother's concern. And I feel that maybe I've found something of a a compromise and a happy medium. I certainly don't want to jeopardize anybody's safety. So what I want to do, I'm not going to try and, and reach out to any more people than I've already reached out to. And if they get back to me, that's great, but I'm not going to, I have a huge long list of people that I was trying to contact and I am going to cease those efforts as of now. What I will do is just lay out the information that I have as of now, and you can make your own decisions about what you think happened. Last time we discussed Carl Dow's confession and I think we should listen to it again, here.
1: I killed Norma back about 10.30 on the evening of June 13, 1956, Midway Main Street and 3rd South on 2nd West, where the necklace was found she had on. I've often read of people who have committed a crime state that everything went black for a while. I know what they meant. She and I were talking, facing south, and then blackness, and we were struggling off the sidewalk. She made some noise, perhaps trying to scream. I did not want to hurt her then. Had I been in full control of myself, I feel I could have did her great harm in the first blow. As it is, I do not know just what happened. I have heard all sorts of stories of what I had done to her, and then the people would say, but when they catch him, you won't believe a word he says. I could not lay with her. In 45 minutes I had choked her to death, and put her in the canal, and made it back home in time to call the Vernal Theater by 11.15. It does not seem like I have done this, there is such a short space between life and death. I wish only one thing now that this has happened, and hope that this act of mine will be of some good to the earth and mankind. In my life, and please for God's sake let the public hear this, there have been times where I showed definite tendencies to my fellow men of following a path to this end educate the public to understand and know such outward evidences of man's behavior for what they are and what they can lead to. The people in my life who I have come to with my problem were not educated in such a manner as to know what should be done for me or with me. I hope those people do who I have approached will one day realize a few things. There was the policeman in San Diego, the doctors in the Navy, doctors in Salt Lake City, they all have known me, and the police in Salt Lake City. It was just too busy to say, go to hell. Here I am. And my folks, I tried so hard to let them know that I did not feel good inside, but no one seemed to understand. I cannot and do not blame anyone but myself for this. The people above just did not know. whoever reads this please do all they can to start something to stimulate the public and those in charge into doing a little toward the education of all and a little mental health and all its complications. This confession is true, and I feel my judgment upon myself will be of no help to anyone. Signed, Coral, Donald, Dale.
0: All right, so once again, things that, that strike me as odd in this suicide note. I feel like he goes kind of between almost from one extreme to another. I, I feel like at times he's very articulate, and then other times he's like misspelling words is what I see uh, in the article and then phrasing things in kind of a weird way that don't come across as articulate. The other thing that strikes me about this and and we will lay this out for you a little bit as time goes on is uh, he doesn't tell us anything that we didn't already know now bearing in mind that this is only the parts of the confession that were published there seems to be more that could have been there Uh, but i'm not sure how they decided what they were going to keep out and what they were going to keep in but if we take it at mostly face value this reads really bizarre to me like a timeline And everything that he alludes to in this is information that we already knew because it had already been published in previous newspapers in the days before, in the days between uh, Norma being reported missing and uh, subsequently her body found and Carl's suicide. There's nothing that would indicate a motive. which i know a lot of times we don't get but it's the very almost detached way that he's laying it all out i feel like someone who is about to die by suicide i would maybe i don't know maybe there's a sense of calm before that again i don't have a lot of experience with suicide notes but it just strikes me as odd that he you know puts a time in at all or any times like oh i killed her you know at 10:30 and here is where i was when it happened except that i don't remember what happened and then this is where i dumped her body and then i was back home by 11:15 which as the police knew is when he had placed a call to the vernal theater so I guess right away, the thing that seems a little bit weird to me is, uh, is that, like, here's my timeline and I'm going to lay it out exactly in my suicide note. Uh, okay. That's odd to me. It almost seems to me like he's repeating something that was said to him. And maybe I'm reading too much in this, but Carl was brought in for questioning the night before he died and he was grilled from what i gather pretty intensely by these cops and i have to wonder if he is simply restating what was said to him he was told to come back the next day to take a polygraph um they told him though when they according to the the sources that i have they told carl when they released him that night you know we we think you did it (laughs) we don't have any evidence to hold you so okay see later so they think he did it but they're not gonna like watch his house they're just gonna trust that he's going to come back does that seem strange to anyone else is that normal practice like this dude definitely did it but I don't have any way to hold you so see you later and also I'm not going to you know Keep an eye on you and make sure that you come back the next day for the polygraph or whatever and why not do the polygraph that night it just i don't know that seems weird to me and they had interviewed like 200 people or something at that point they had arrested suspects only to find out they were wrong and just the whole way through it seemed so sloppy to me that i have a really hard time believing they got it right in the end Uh, Just... and maybe they did, but maybe they only got it part right. But maybe, maybe they planted the idea in his head. Because here's what I think at the end of the day. I think that it is very likely that Carl may have been dealing with bipolar disorder or some pretty severe depression issues. I think that he was suggestible, and I think he felt immense guilt for struggling with depression, because that was not something uh, that people were very open about back then, and it was there was definitely a stigma involving mental health. His suicide note talks about mental health. I find it bizarre that he would Go to the trouble to confess to killing norma but then say that he doesn't really know what happened but then throw in these details that would indicate he did know what happened but they're details that were printed in newspapers weird that's a, my spidey sense is tingling something feels a little off to me there so again i'm just puzzled. I feel like the suicide note raises more questions than, than it gives answers. Uh, now, I can tell you that Norma had indicated to some friends that Carl did make her uncomfortable, and uh, it, it seems that he may have rubbed a few people the wrong way. So, Maybe there was something to that, and maybe he flirted with her and it made her feel yucky. I know most women I know have, have been in that situation, particularly when you're at work and some customer is just kind of being a little bit creepy. You have to smile and get through it. She tried to avoid him whenever he came into the drugstore. So again, this may be what happened, but it may not be exactly what happened. And I still am of the firm belief that there were two people involved. Over the years, uh, stories have circulated and people have told my grandmother that during the autopsy, they found uh, two foreign skin samples under Norma's nails. The other thing that uh, that bothers me is just, I don't know, 45 minutes seems not very long. And I know that murder happens sometimes extremely quickly. I just, for someone who's maybe already struggling with mental illness, like, is it going to be that neat, I guess, for lack of a better word, that you can commit murder at 1030 norma put up a huge fight we do know that so i have to feel like it wasn't easy for the killer let's assume that it's carl at this point he <clears throat> drops her body into the canal and returns home and is able to just make this really calm phone call at eleven fifteen. i mean wouldn't he have wanted to maybe shower first or get rid of some clothes i just feel like this is happening super fast and again i could be wrong but that's something else that that strikes me as odd and going through that confession again uh while it does address norma's murder it it seems to focus almost more on mental health I know that Carl was discharged from was it the Navy for uh, it was a medical discharge, and I am working on getting those records so that I can possibly see why. Again, these things kind of take time. I just have my doubts. I have my doubts about the whole thing, and now I have my doubts about whether I should be proceeding with this. So. It's kind of an interesting situation to be in, I suppose. Of course, we do know that Norma was killed by someone or some ones in a horrible act of violence and violation. It very well may have been rejection violence she told her sister Janice a few weeks prior to her death that a car had been following her while she walked home and that the driver had tried to get her to get in the car and go for a ride and Norma wasn't sure who it was which again I feel like if it was Carl she would have said it was Carl because I know him, but she wasn't sure who it was, and she ran the rest of the way home because it scared her so much. So here again, odd things that aren't quite lining up for me. I know that in the past she was pretty proactive about getting the hell out of there when she felt uneasy, so why would she stop to talk to Carl like he claims in his suicide note? My other issue is that... There was a man who told police that he had been sitting in his yard, this is across the street from where Norma's broken necklace was found. He told police that he had been sitting out on his porch and he saw a dark sedan and he heard voices. He couldn't make out if they were male or female, didn't know what they were saying. But Carl says in his suicide note that he killed her right there. I feel like that neighbor would have seen it if he was sitting out on his porch. So again, things are not lining up. How much can we trust that confession? I don't know that we can. I do feel, though, that if Norma was trying to get away, it would have taken two people to halt that escape. And here's one last thing that has always bothered me about this case. Norma left her job at Quality Drug somewhere between 10 10 and 10:20 on Wednesday night she had complained of a headache co-workers noticed that she had taken aspirin that night she walked out with two of her high school friends Karma Weeks and Doyle Davis they had offered her a ride home and she declined telling them I've got a headache I think the walk home will help I think it will do me some good Her boss, a man by the name of Dwayne Anderson, and a couple of uh, local boys, Gerald and Reese Walker, stayed at the store until 11.30, I guess cleaning up. And at that point, Mr. Anderson leaves with his wife to meet some friends. They go to a drive-in. The two local boys, Gerald and Reese reportedly stayed at the store until midnight. Norma was last seen as she passed an auto collision. Uh, Several people saw her. But between 239 South, Second West and her home, she disappeared. The last person, one of the last people, I should say, to see her alive was her boss, Dwayne Anderson. Dwayne Anderson is one of the two men who found her body in the canal. Thank you for joining us for this week's presentation of Her Name is Norma Rotoback. I want to extend a special thank you to James Heffel for providing the voice acting for Carl Dow's Confession this week. I would also like to extend a special thank you to Elaine Carr of the Uinta County Regional History Center, who sent me a crap ton of articles that I had not yet seen. They were very, very helpful as I continued to try and determine what exactly happened to Norma. If you have any comments or any information about either Norma or Carl Dow, or you have any insight into this case please reach out to us at hernamepodcast at gmail.com.